Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome. You're here, Mr. and Mrs. Better Half. This is our, we, we typically do a, 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 a marriage series at least once every year. Last year we missed because we did such a, a kind of an extended legacy campaign and kicked that off right and can't wait to get that to that next month. But um, this is our annual marriage series. We're calling it Mr. and Mrs. Better Half because I just love marriage. I, I think it's so important. It is when I talk to people, pray with people, counsel with people, it is obviously one of the most heavy or difficult or challenging things that we face right now in our culture. And I get that. And if I could do anything to encourage you, to bless you, to challenge you, to teach you, to help you to do anything, uh, it, it is, man, I really want to help you this this series. And so um, as we kick off this series, I'll share with you a quick story. It's about uh, Fred and Edna, this really wonderful couple. They lived together for decades, married for decades. And near the end of their life, um, they had a tradition where they kept going to the county fair every single year. And um, there was this one thing that Fred always wanted to do at the county fair, and he always wanted to do the airplane ride. Like there was a little airplane that you could get in and you could go for a ride. And he's like, man, I want to do that. And, and it was it was $10. And so he'd ask Edna, Edna, can I, can I, I really want to do the airplane thing. Can I do the airplane thing? And she goes, no, it's, we're not going to spend that money on that. $10 is $10. We're not, we're not doing that. And so then the next year, God, can I please do the airplane? No, oh, it's, it's 10 bucks and 10 bucks is 10 bucks. And so, um, you know, finally, after a few years of this going on, he's pleased with her. He said, look, I'm 71 years old. This, this might be my last chance. Okay. Um, I want to go in the airplane ride, and she goes, well, $10 is $10, sweetie. And so, but the a guy, you know, flying the plane overheard this conversation. And so he said, well, I tell you, I tell you I'll make you a deal. Um, I'll take you up for free. Um, I'm going to just, you know, have a, have a good time with you, take you up, take you all around. And if you'll be absolutely quiet, it'll be free. But if you say one word, I'll charge you $10. How about that? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. So they both jumped in the airplane with the pilot. And this guy, I mean, he is pushing it as hard as he can. I mean, he's doing dives and barrel rolls. And he's trying to do, uh, he's just trying to get him to, to scream or puke or say something or do anything. And so he's, he's shocked because he hears nothing. Zero zilch, nothing the entire time. And so he finally lands the plane. and He turns around to congratulate him. And he notices that, that Edna's not in the plane anymore. And he freaks out. He's like, what where is your wife at and he's like well man one of them tumble barrel things you did she she fell out and he's like why didn't you say anything ten dollars is ten dollars <laughs> so sometimes sometimes that's how you look at marriage you're like it's ten dollars um i love that i love that story um marriage can be hard can it sometimes Sometimes you kind of think, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe he'll fall out of the plane. <sighs> Hope the insurance is up to date, you know, that, that kind of a thing. Um, marriage can be challenging. Marriage can be difficult. But can I just give you some encouragement? I think there's too much discouragement when it comes to marriage. Um, you know, for years and years, I always, always heard this statistic. Oh, don't you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. 50, how many of you ever heard that before? 50% of marriage is in divorce. That's not true. Did you know that? That's like a stat that somebody made up back in like the early 80s, and we just kind of ran with it. We just like, yeah, sure. It was basically a census report they did, and they did a, a, a survey, and what they determined was is that they projected that 50% of these marriages from this time to this time, they projected that 50% of them would end in divorce. And so we started like quoting this thing, and, it, and, and at the time the, the report said that not only would it be 50% would end in divorce, but it would keep growing. 
And it never happened. It was never true. As a matter of fact, it has never reached 50%. As a matter of fact, it's somewhere around 40% was the hike, and then it's been in decline over the last couple of decades. So, so this whole idea that like everybody's getting divorced and all marriages into divorce and 50%, it's like get to your altar and flip a coin. Are we going to make it or not? It's not that bad. There's actually, and here's the other thing too. Some of the stats are skewed because, um, well, let's just be honest. When you get into second and third marriages, those have a much higher divorce rate than first-time marriages do. And so that throws off the stat. You know, the other thing I heard, too, I remember hearing one guy get up and say, you know, the divorce rate in the church is just as bad as people that don't go to church. I found out that's not true either. Like, when you, when you really dig down on the studies and dig down deep, here's what you actually find, is that people who, because how I many you know there's a difference between a person who checks a box as a Christian and somebody that actually lives like a Christ follower that's two different things, right? We're all tracking with that. We're not talking about nominal Christianity. We're talking about actual following Jesus. And so when you look at people who go to church regularly, who have any type of like involvement volunteering or in a small group, or if you ask people if they have like maybe like a personal devotional time, as you keep adding spiritual disciplines and practices and habits, as you keep adding involvement into the church, that divorce rate, it just keeps driving down. The more and more and more you are connected to God, the more and more that number goes down. So I just wanted to give you some hope. Marriage can be great. Marriage can be awesome. It can last a lifetime. You can find people and grow old with them, and you can be an old person sitting on a bench somewhere. That's, that's, that's my goal for you. And so you can find your Mr. and Mrs. Better Half but everybody say but but the more you do it the world's way or the culture's way or whatever feels natural or, or we would even say maybe a sinful way the, i'm telling you those numbers keep going up but if you will do things god's way i'm telling you there is not just a chance and it's better than a coin flip there's a chance that you can have a great great marriage i just promise you it's it's possible and I want to give you that hope this morning. And so as, as today we dive in, I want to share with you why I think there's a unique difference between the world's way and God's way. And it's both in how you date, how you start your relationship, and it's your, it's your overall perception of what marriage is supposed to look like. And so even this week, I remember sitting down and talking to a single woman, and I was started sharing like, hey, look, if you want to go do it this way, this is what you can kind of expect. But there is a godly way to go about dating and finding people. And let me just share with you this real quick. This is what it looks like. So this is the world's way of, of you know, finding that man, finding Mr. Right, Mrs. Right, Mrs. Right now, um, wh whatever that is. And, and that's the world's way. It is, I need to find the right person. And it's the right person myth. Sometimes it's like um, this idea that if I'll find my soulmate, we'll live happily ever after. I just want you to know there is no soulmate. Does that make sense? It's a mathematical possibility. It's the myth of the one, right? Like, oh, she's the one, right? Because here's the problem. It doesn't work out with logic or, or mathematics because, if, see, here's what's going to happen. If you missed your one, because I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, I know I didn't marry the one. I missed him. This was the two. Uh, <laughs> see, it, but if there was a one, see, what would have had, what, what had happened was, is because you missed the one and you round up with, round, wound up with Mr. Two or Mrs. Two or Mrs. Five or, or whatever that number is on your scale, then, then what happens was is that your one got out there in the universe and accidentally connected with somebody else that, that wasn't their one. And so now the whole thing is thrown off. Like now no one's going to find their one. 
But it doesn't work because there is no one. So, so it's not about finding the one, finding your soulmate, or finding the right person. That's not how this works. So that, but that's the world's way. I've got to find my soulmate, find the right person. And then number two is this. Now we've got to fall in love. Like, think about every romantic comedy that you've ever watched. You had to find the right person, and then you fell in love. And that's the goal. I need to find somebody that I can just fall in love with. And it'll be ooey-gooey, and it'll be romantic, and it'll be wonderful. And then again, we'll live happily ever after if I'll just find the right person and fall in love. And so number three is this, is after I fall in love, I'm just going to fix all my hopes and dreams on them because they're the one, right? And we fell in love. It was love at first sight, and it was amazing, incredible. And so now they're my life. Y'all remember, y'all remember this is old, this dates people. Y'all remember Jerry Maguire? Like, you complete me. And then she's like, you had me at hello. Remember that? Uh, And she's like, I don't even need that. You just, just showing up was enough. That was apparently what you had me at hello meant. Just like, you you came back. That was good enough for me. Um, but, But he was like giving this amazing speech and was like, you complete me. And that's what we do. We look to other people to make us whole, to fill in the gaps, to make us feel right, to make us feel good, to make us feel loved, accepted, secure, all those things. And so we fix all of our hopes and dreams on them. And and then lastly, well, if that doesn't work, then we just repeat steps one, two, and three, right? We're like, well, that wasn't it. That must have not been the one. I I was falling in love, but then I fell out of love. And because I fixed all my hopes and dreams on them and they failed me, let me just try this again and then I'll swipe right. You know, so that's basically the world's way of how you get into dating. Can I get an amen out there? Does that look fairly? I didn't make that up, right? That's, that's okay. So, but there's a difference. Now watch, 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 watch. If you're single, you need to be dialed in right now. There's a different way and it's God's way. And God's way is this. God's way is become the right person. Like, don't get me wrong, the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. But before that, it was not about finding the right person. It was about becoming the right person. I'll put it this way. When Adam was in the Garden of Eden and God said, okay, you don't, you, your aloneness is not good. You need somebody. Before God brought Eve into Adam's life, he had Adam order his own world. If you read the story, Adam orders the world or orders things before. So like the point would be, dudes, get your junk together. Get your issues fixed. Like work out your insecurities so that you're not projecting your insecurities on her. Like that's not the way. Ladies, like get your stuff together. Become the right person. Or we we could even say it like this. Become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Because some of y'all out there, like, you, you, you have this idea of finding the right one. And by the way, you know, guys, I know what, she looks amazing, right? In your picture of finding the one, she's hot. She's a knockout. And she's smart. And, and, and she's funny. And she makes good money. And she's kind. And she's all these things. Well, you just described the ten. And you're a four and a half at best. So, look. Get your junk together, get a J-O-B, put your world in order. Ladies, don't be a train wreck. Okay, don't be a drama queen. Don't be carrying like eight bags of luggage into the relationship filled with every crazy relationship from your past. Work that out. Okay, I'm taking too long on these. So become the right person. Number two is this. Don't fall in love walk in love like you don't fall in love you fall in a ditch you fall in you, you fall into bad things 
I've never been like, I fell into a bag of money. I've never heard that story. It was like, I fell into the water. I fell into the pool. I fell into the mud. I never, I never fell. Listen, you fall into bad things, okay? You walk into good things. You walk in love. The idea is not to, because listen, listen, listen. If you can fall in love, then you can fall out of love. That is not the biblical model of love. As a matter of fact, the biblical model of love is that love is not a feeling that you fall in and out of. But love is actually a verb that you do or don't do. So when Jesus talks about love, the majority of the time when it's used, think about the English language, just go back to English class for a second. We have nouns, which is what? And you have a verb, which is a, man, y'all are smart. I didn't learn that stuff until I started homeschooling my kids. So, <laughs> so my point is, is, is you don't want to look to fall into a noun. You want to look to do a verb. Think about this. In the vast majority of human history, we did not have this world's model of dating, right? That's relatively new. For the majority of human history, how did people get together? You're like scared to say anything now. It's Jesus is the answer, right? No. <laughs> it's always Jesus. Just say Jesus and you can never go wrong if you ask a question at church. So, no. Arranged marriages. Who said it? Thank you, Gus. Okay. So somebody said it. arranged marriage. That was it. So, so think about this. Back when, when Adam was in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't like there was five women and he got to like go try to fall in love. He got one. He was like, figure it out now, right? Eve, that's your only option. Now walk in love. So it wasn't like swipe, swipe. swipe. It wasn't that. You stuck. That's the one because there's only one. So mathematically, that one did work. But it don't work now. So you got to walk in love, meaning it's a choice. It's a verb. It's something I do. And when you, when you think about the history of, of arranged marriages, you, it was like, no, no, somehow our families, God, it all worked out, but we are together now. And now we have to choose to walk in love, not something we fall in and out of, because most of what we fall in and out of is romance and infatuation. Well, that stuff wears off because eventually you see her without her makeup on, right? Eventually you see him in all of his weirdness, Like guys are weird. Guys are dumb. Guys, guys, guys fart and then, hey, buddy, smell this. I'm like, they're just, they do, they, there's nothing attractive about that. Don't do that in front of ladies. That's just the weirdness that is dudes. And, and the more you get to know them, because like eventually when you're married, I don't, I, no, we're not even doing it. Nope. I'm going to move on. You got to walk in love because romance and infatuation, that's stuff you can fall in and out of. What? Let's move on. I got to move on. So number three is, is this, fix all your hopes and dreams on God. Yeah, so you, you, you became the right person. Then you found somebody, but you walked in love, not falling in and out of stuff. And then now that you're together, you don't fix your hopes and dreams on them. Why? Well, because they're not God. They can't meet your deepest needs. Remember your deepest needs of acceptance and security, of identity and purpose. These are things that your spouse can't give you. That significant other cannot give you. Only your heavenly father can give you those deep needs. And so if you'll fix all of your hopes and dreams on him, it'll work. And if failure occurs, we repeat steps one, two, and three. We're constantly trying to become more like Christ. We're trying to become the right person. We're trying to continue to walk in love. Hey, it didn't work out. You know what? Let me go back and work on me. Because normally when it doesn't work out, we try to go work on them. That's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You work on you. So walk in love and then fix all of our hopes and dreams. And then we just stay and continue in this 
process. Do you see the difference now? And when we approach dating this way, it changes the trajectory of our relationship. Because when we did it the world's way, we've basically just invited all kinds of drama and chaos and issue into our life. And again, that makes marriage so much more difficult. Look at what Jesus said about marriage when he was challenged and asked and they were kind of figuring out what was Jesus' take on marriage and divorce. So it says this in Matthew. It says that these Pharisees came to test Jesus, meaning like they wanted to like catch him in a loophole or try to accuse him of something. So they asked him this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, the funny thing is, is that there was a debate going on. There were two schools of, of thought, two camps, if you will, that when they looked at divorce in the Jewish world, in the Jewish community, there's two rabbis and they had very different ideas. And one said, you can divorce your, divorce your wife for any reason. Because they were looking at an Old Testament scripture and it was like, you could interpret it this way or kind of this way. And one of them, which was very liberal, which was like this, and he literally said this, if she burns the toast, you can kick her out. That's it. Like, nope, she was, she was bad. She was a bad wife. Kick her out. She's done. Divorce her. And then there was another guy that said, no, 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 it wasn't for that. It was anything. And he, he more leaned towards if there's like abuse or sexual immorality or some type of grave sin, that's when you can, you can divorce and it makes it lawful. But Jesus doesn't go to the law when he responds to the question. He doesn't try to like get the letter of the law. What he does is he goes back deeper than the law and he gives you the spirit of a thing. And so watch what he says here. He goes, well, haven't you read? Like, duh, y'all are supposed to be Bible readers. You're the Pharisees. Y'all are smarter than everybody else. Don't you know your Bible? There's a little bit of a dig. He says that the beginning or that at the beginning, the creator, God, made them male and female. And then he said this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So these guys are arguing about marriage and divorce. And, and again, we already talked about like the way you approach dating, but this is their approach to marriage now. And they're trying to look at the letter of the law and say, when can I get out? When can I kick them to the curb? Where, where, where's my escape clause? And they're trying to figure out the letter of the law. And he goes, you guys have missed the point. You guys are trying to figure out the details, but you've looked at marriage entirely wrong. And he goes on to say, the only reason Moses gave you this law that said this is when you can get in or get out is because your hearts are hardened. So like sin leads you to trying to figure out these details. But the heart of the matter was something much better. What was God's original intent for marriage? It was this idea of covenant. Everybody say covenant. This is the whole idea of like two becoming one. This was this idea of joining together and not separating. They had entered into a marriage covenant. Because this is, the, this is and this is again, the world's way of seeing marriage is that it's a contract. God's way of seeing marriage is that it's a covenant. And there's a significant difference between the two. Let me teach you this real quick here. This is the difference between a covenant and a commitment, or a covenant and a contract, I should say. Covenant is based on mutual commitment. Contract is based on mutual distrust, right? Like if you ever signed legal documents, if you ever signed a lease agreement or some type of partnership agreement or something else, why did you do that? So that they could not hose you, right? So they could not steal from you. They could not take advantage of you. The contract says you owe this and you're doing it because you don't know that they're going to follow up on their end of the deal. So you need a contract to protect you so that if they fail to meet their end of the contract, you can take them to court and sue them. Yeah. So you can get, you can get your slice of the pie. Covenant was the opposite of that. It was about two people saying, no, 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 no. I'm all in. This is all about me being all in. You're all in. 
This is not about, I don't trust you. This was literally about, I'm going to give you everything, and I just want you to know that I've got your back. So I'm surrendering everything to you just so that you can fully trust me. And the other person was doing the same thing. It's just different. Here's another one. Covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibilities. Contract protects rights and shirks responsibility. Because when you look at a contract, what you're trying to figure out is what's the minimum amount that I have to do, right? What's the minimum amount I have to pay? What's the minimum amount that I've got to put in? But our covenant is the exact opposite. It's saying, hey, I'll give you everything. This is why Jesus, um, in, in the New Testament, he talks about this. The Apostle Paul, he talks about this. And they say these crazy words, like Paul says it like this. He goes, husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church. And everybody's like, oh, like Jesus loved. But then he adds something to it that's almost painful. He goes, remember how Jesus died for the church? That's you. <laughs> what? I thought it was just going to be kind of, oh, Jesus loves. No, 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 Jesus died for the church. That's how I want you to love your wife. That's what we call like surrendering your right. I'm going to die to myself for the sake of the other person. And then he uses similar language. He goes, wives, like submit to your husbands. What? Submit's a dirty word now. Don't you know we're living like in California in the 21st century? Women don't submit. How dare you use that word, Paul? And the reality is, is that both of them were designed to submit. Both of them were designed to surrender their rights for the sake of the other person. Not in contract. I'm protecting mine. Here's the last one I'll give you. Covenant has the interest of the other in mind. Contract has personal convenience in mind. Again, a covenant is is about this mutual agreement between two people who are trying to elevate the other person, not protect their own. And so when you see marriage this way, it changes everything. Now I'm entering into a, a deep spiritual commitment to another person. Hey, watch this. Do you remember the day that you got married? The day that you got married, and I've, I've, I've married off a few of you in here, but we, you, we normally we come down front, and there's a chuppah, and there's me, and I look good because I only wear suits at funerals and weddings. And, um, and so we're, we're doing the thing. You got the bridesmaids and the groomsmen. You got flowers and all this stuff. And then we, we get down front, and we have two main pieces of a marriage ceremony, right? We have the ring exchange, but then we have the vows, right? And then what normally, like, you repeat after me some vows. So I'd say something like, I, Fred, take you, Edna, to, to, to let you fall out of a plane. So I, I, Fred, I take you, Edna, and how does it go? To be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold, to love and to cherish from this day forth, um, for better or worse, richer or poor, but richer would be better, um, in sickness and in health, but, I mean, don't get that sick, and, and, and till death do us part. Right? You said that. You said something like that, right? And, and then, what, but here's what you didn't know. You did not actually pay attention to what you were saying. You were in dodo land. Like, you, you, some of y'all drank before your wedding. Some of y'all were just like, oh my, you were sweating. You were in panic mode. You just were trying to get through it. You were just repeating whatever. I, I, I could have told you anything and you would have just said, I do. Right? She looked so beautiful. He looks so handsome. That's why I tell, like, take lots of pictures. He will probably never look better than he does right there. It is, it is probably nothing but downhill from that point forward, guys. I just you know, you know that. It's just so goes life. Um, so you, I, did you actually pay attention to what you were saying? Crazy stuff because you were in love. You were saying wild, ridiculous, like till death parts us. For better or worse, Richard Porson, you, you were making some incredible 
commitments. And on that day, wasn't it easy? Because he looked so good and she looked so beautiful and this is our day and it seemed really, really easy. But then all of a sudden, the honeymoon period wears off. And you're like, I feel like I'm getting the worse right now and not the better. Sometimes I feel like I'm getting the broke instead of the blessed. Sometimes I'm getting whatever. And here's, here's what I need you to know about this commitment that you've entered into. Is this is what commitment really is. Commitment means staying loyal to what you said you were going to do long after the mood you set it in left you. Because on that day, you were thinking about your honeymoon. You needed to say whatever it took to get from point A to point B. You were in euphoria. and so. But, but here's the deal. Again, this isn't a contract. This is a spiritual agreement, a covenant, a deep spiritual commitment that you made before God towards another human being. And I'm just telling you that, again, if you'll start dating God's way, it'll change your trajectory. If you'll start seeing marriage God's way, Again, we're not trying to fall in love. We're trying to walk in love. And so here's, here's what I want to give you. Look at how big of a deal this is to God. This is just one of those scriptures that I want you to see. Like, this is really important. Malachi chapter 2 says this. It says, so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man, look how strong this language is. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. He was saying like, hey, you entered into something deep. It was not a contract. It was a spiritual covenant that you made before God. This is not a light thing. You need to take this so seriously because, and he says something so strange here. He goes, he goes, watch this. He goes, the one who does this does violence to the one he should protect. Like the very person that you entered into covenant with, he's saying, go all in. Full bore, give it everything that you've got. Be the right person, walk in love, keep putting your hopes and dreams on God and then just keep at it. Repeat those steps until it, you get that breakthrough. Stay in it, stay committed. Stay. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that says marriage until the, look, if, 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 if he's abusive, if she's, if, look, if she's, you know, got a meth lab in her basement, get out. If, if, if he's, if, if there is, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not one of these people that like, it, it's never, ever, no, 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 but like, with all your heart before God, give it everything you got. Go all in on this incredible covenant that you have entered into. And so here's four things I want to give you to do that I want you to think about um, as you think about entering into that, that deep commitment. Number one is this. This is your first commitment that you really do need to make. And for some of us, it's a, it's a recommitment. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't know. I didn't understand the gravity or the weight of it all. But today I'm getting it, and I want to have a great marriage. I want to have a great future. And so you know what? First commitment you need to make is this. We will trust God. Like, that's it. Number one is that God has to be first. That's all we talked about last week. If you were not here last week, it is crucial. It is literally the most important thing in your marriage is your personal relationship with Jesus. You've got to have God in the center of your marriage. Here's what the Bible says about this. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Like, it, it, you've got to have this this type of marriage where we together trust God, we together put God first, we together put God in the midst of our marriage. As a matter of fact, that's where marriage was created. It was created in a place called Eden, and it was an environment where they walked and had communion with God. That's how great marriage started and how it was intended to always be, and we've got to go back to that. We have to trust God with our marriage. So number two is this, is that we will make the choice to love. So again, big ideas, things that have to change. We don't fall in love. 
we walk in love because ultimately, let's just put this on the screen. Love, we talked about this earlier, but let's jump on it again. Love is a choice. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a scripture in, in Genesis where it talks about Jacob marrying his wife. It says he married so-and-so and he loved her. Meaning like, sometimes you just have to choose to love. Like, it, it's not one of those things. Have you ever thought about this? Like, when you choose to love, what you're in essence doing is you are, because not only is love a choice, love is a verb. You're choosing to do something loving or kind towards another person. The reason why you don't feel like you're in love anymore is because you stopped making love a verb. You were waiting on a feeling to happen. Well, of course you don't feel that way anymore. I don't blame you. Like those feelings just come and go. There's good seasons and bad seasons. Like there's just times where I'm in a bad mood or she's in a bad mood or the season of life is difficult and stressful. And like, we're not looking for feelings. We're looking to make love a choice. It is a choice to look at another human being and to see them as valuable and precious in God's eyes and then to treat them that way. So we have to make the choice to love. Look at what Colossians says. This is huge. Therefore, as God's chosen people, everybody say, that's us. As God's chosen people, we're holy and dearly loved. I want you to clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And then over all these virtues, put on what? Love, which binds them. What's the them? The compassion, the kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. It binds them all together in perfect humility. It's almost like saying, hey, look, you know, put on your socks. That's good. Put on your pants. Put on your shirt because no shirt, no shoes, no service. Put Put, but like, it's cold outside, so put on a big old coat over everything. So like, it's important to have your clothes on, but all of that stuff must be covered in love. That's what binds it all together anyway. This is the idea of walking in love, of making love a choice that you, I, I, I don't care how I feel, I'm choosing to elevate you. I'm choosing to affirm you. I'm choosing to put your needs above my needs. These are just a choice I make. And it's things that I do because love is a verb. Number three is this, is we will prioritize our relationship. Yeah, like there are, there are temptations in this world where we, we take our marriage for granted. We just assume till death do us part, right? We're like, well, they're stuck with me now. Remember that covenant you made? You're stuck. You can't get out now. And so then all of a sudden we start prioritizing other things above the relationship. Some of us prioritize work above our marriage. It's easy to do. Because we're spending 40 and 50 plus hours a week at this job and it's a grind. And I live in California and do you know what real estate costs? And I've got to work like this to make ends meet. And don't you know? And sometimes we even say stuff like, you know, in the argument, like, oh, I don't feel like you love me. Do you know how hard I work for you? You know, things like that. Do you know how hard I work to pay for these things? And all these things come in. But what happens really is that we put work and prioritize work above our marriage. Sometimes we do this with our kids. Like wives is real easy. All of a sudden them little rug rats attached at the hip, attached to other places, attached by the little, because they're crazy, and so you got to have that little wrist strap with the band. There's detached. And then, like, they consume your time. They consume your energy. By the time your husband gets home, like, you are flat, wore out. Or you're working, and you both get home, and you're both tired, and then the kid becomes the focus because you've been gone. And I, I get it, but there's a temptation to put your kids above your marriage. And it's one of the worst things that you can do because what you end up doing is robbing your children of one of the most important things. The most important things that you can give your kids is not just your time and attention. The more important thing is to give your kids a beautiful picture of what a great wife and what a great husband look like. Because we know this to be true. Think about your life, looking about your childhood. Most of us didn't grow up in, 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 
you know, the leave it to beaver home with this perfect little family, this perfect little world. We didn't have that. And so we grow up and now all of a sudden we don't know what it looks like to be a great wife. We don't know what it looks like to be a great husband. We were, we're, and we're trying to figure that out now, right? We're trying to put the pieces together now in our adulthood because we didn't see it. And what I'm telling you is make the marriage the priority now. And if you'll do that, they need to see mommy and daddy hug. They need to see mommy and daddy kiss. They need to see mommy and daddy go out on dates. Like there are times where our kids are like, no, don't leave. I'm like, Psh, we're out. Mommy, daddy time. Go color something. Anyway, um, because they need it. They need to see, oh, crap, marriage is more important than me getting what I want as a kid who will always take more, right? The greatest thing you give them. Oh, look, look how it is for a wife and a, and a husband to interact, to talk, to communicate, to, to, to even like argue and figure things out. Like there's a healthy dynamic of seeing them like figure out how to be a great husband, how to, create, how to be a great wife. It's one of the greatest things that you can give your kids. Sometimes people put self above marriage. Like sometimes it's just, no, I'm not going to put your needs above my needs. I like my needs. I'm going to go get my needs met. I'm going to put my interest above your interest. Why? Because I just, I, I'm selfish. And sometimes, sometimes, we put, sometimes it's hobbies. Sometimes it's other things. Sometimes it's just our stress and fear and worry and our insecurity ends up being elevated above the marriage. And because we won't work out our stuff, the marriage ends up falling down the priority list. You've got to make a commitment to say, look, we will prioritize one another. And then lastly is this, we will pursue one another. Like that's a commitment right there. That whole idea, when, when, when God in the Garden of Eden said this, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. Everybody say cleave. So in the King James, it says, you will leave and cleave, right? In the NIV, it says leave and be joined to. And neither of those words really capture what the Hebrew word was. It was more in line with the idea of pursue. So it wasn't that you leave your father and your mother and then you pull out a cleaver. You, you leave your father and your mother and then you go into pursuit mode. That's what marriage should look like. You are in, there is an energy to it. There's a pursuit to it. So Because this is what we, we, we know. When you were dating, you were on your A game, Right? You knew you couldn't screw that up or you wouldn't get a second date or a third date, right? So you knew you had to be on your A game. And so you put on deodorant, you brushed your teeth. You ch- ladies, you changed your outfit multiple times. You, you wanted everything to go well. You opened the door for her. You did certain, you were trying to be funny. And here's my point. Whatever you did to win them, that's what you do to keep them. Don't stop chasing. Don't stop pursuing. Guys, Keep trying to be funny. You're not, but it's cute to them still. Just your effort is kind of cute, right? Like, like keep trying to be a Mac Daddy and use one-liners and be smooth. You're not, but try. It's just, it's just if nothing more, the pursuit matters. Ladies, be in pursuit mode. Like, like, and this is where it all comes from. Watch this. This is not a Todd idea. This is a biblical idea. Watch this in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, this is what we see. Revelation 2, verse 3, it says this. It says, you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. Now let's pause real quick here. Every one of these little moments Jesus has, he's talking to a church and he usually gives them like an encouragement and then he gives them a challenge. And what he was encouraging them was saying, hey, look, you've held out, you're, you know, you've done really good, you persevered, you endured, you kind of, I don't want to say this, you kept your commitment, but this is the thing that I have against you. Even though you kept your commitment, look at where the other parts of it went. He said, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love or the love you had at first. 
Consider how far you've fallen. Now watch this. Repent and do the things you did at first. Let me say that last line again. Repent and do the things you did at first. So this is the image I get. You're in this relationship and you stayed committed, but it's kind of grown cold. Like it's not the way it used to be. And you kind of fell out of that early stage of romance and love and pursuit. And so he says this, repent and then go do the things that you used to do. Now, again, repent is not a a, a purely religious word. It literally means just to change and go back. That's all that means. Change and make a turn. Change and go back. And so what he was saying was this. You're still committed, but the love doesn't feel the same way that it used to. He goes, I get that. And here's the solution to that. Change what you're doing right now and go back and do the things that you used to do. If you want to capture the love that you had at the first, you got to go do things you used to do in the beginning. So remember I said all the Mac Daddy lines and, and changing that outfit until it was just perfect and making everything just special. Make, he goes, you don't stop doing that. I know life makes you want to get into a rut and routine and then you start mailing it in. But I'm telling you that you can keep in hot pursuit of one another and that makes marriage beautiful. And that's a commitment that you have to make. That will not come naturally. Life always drifts and becomes more chaotic and more hectic to where pursuit is more difficult. Life drifts and other things come in and we end up sacrificing the most important things for not bad things, like good things get in the way of God's best. So so we don't prioritize anymore. I'm just telling you, life drifts. And so you have to recommit sometimes to say, look, we're going to put God first in our marriage. We've slipped. We're not going to church like we used to. We don't read the Bible. We're not, we're we're not in our own personal relationship with God. We're slipping. We've missed that or whatever it is that you need to make the choice to love, the choice to act. Because listen, 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 this is the other, this is the other part of, of both choosing to love and this whole idea of pursuing. You will act your way into feelings, not the other way around. If you are going to feel your way into actions, you may never move. Does that make sense? Okay, husband's wife, if things have grown a little cold and you're like, well, if I'm ever in the moving and feeling it, if I ever feel in love with him or her, I'll start doing all those things. You may wait forever and you may lose the most important thing that God put in your life. Why? Because you don't feel your way into action. That's ridiculous. That's what undisciplined people do. That's what emotionally immature people do. They wait. Think about it like this. If you've got something that's important that you need to go do, do you ever feel your way into doing those things? No, normally not. Like if I got to go mow the lawn, I've never like, oh my God, I cannot wait to hit those blades of grass. I'm going to trim and then blow and then mow and it's going to be amazing. I have never once felt like doing yard work. You don't, you don't feel your way into doing certain things, right? But, 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 when we're done with the yard and everything's trimmed and tight, you, you look back, you're like, dang, that looks good. You're all proud of it. You're all like, oh, that looks fine. And so that's how your marriage will work. You will not feel your way into acting. You act your way into feeling. So go do the things that are loving. Go do the things that are romantic. Go do the things that are kind. Go do the things that are in pursuit and watch you will act your way into a whole new world of feeling. That's the way I want you to be. I want you to be in pursuit. And you know what, you know what the beauty of it is? This, this is why I want you to pursue. I, I, let me just encourage you this thought. God is in pursuit of you. Not in any weird romantic way, but God dearly loves you and God is in pursuit of you. It's just the way that he is. And so listen, listen, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they, tr- they ran off and were hiding and trying to cover up their own nakedness and their own shame. And do you know when God shows up into the story that God's first response to their sin was not anger, was not punishment, it was pursuit? 
The Bible says that he, he came through the garden, walking through the garden, looking and calling for them. God is in pursuit of you. That's the beauty and the wonder of God's love towards us is that God does not, listen, God does not feel his way into loving us. He just starts loving us. Does that make sense? He starts pursuing us. That's the relationship that your heavenly father has with you. And we model after that. So when it comes to your important relationship of marriage, I don't want you feeling things out. I don't feel married today. I don't feel in love today. That's irrelevant. Act your way. Pursue your way. Make the decision to love one another. Let's pray this morning. So God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I'm going to just kind of let Joey play and and, and we're going to have a moment where we just kind of open up our heart and open up our mind to the Lord. I want you to be open right now. Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to do in me this morning? If you're single out there, listen, listen. I gave you a challenge. You can do it the world's way or you can do it God's way. So Holy Spirit, would you speak? Is there, is there something they need to change in their heart, in their mind, or just in their habits? Holy Spirit, there's a lot of married couples in here today. And depending on what season of life they're in or how they're feeling at this moment, God, we're in all kinds of different places. God, would you speak to them today? Is there a recommitment that they need to make? Is, is, is there a commitment that the marriage used to be a priority and, and, and now it's slipped? Our relationship with you used to be the center of our marriage and that, that's kind of slipped. Did, did we stop pursuing each other? God, where... Where do I need to repent or redo or just make a change and go back? Now, what would you have me do differently when it comes to my spouse? Maybe the words that I choose to speak to them and over them. Maybe the actions of kindness or, or romance that I, the gestures I make towards them. God, what do I need to do differently? God, would you speak to me today? God, God, would you give me some clarity, some direction? God, maybe you would just speak to me and give me that thing. That thing that I know that I need to do differently than i'm doing right now you're single out there what is it god that i need to do differently how do i want to change my heart and my attitude towards dating and marriage how do i want to change my habits and my practices lord god above all we thank you for your grace and mercy towards us god that no matter how many times we did it well or how many times we did it poorly If our marriage was fantastic or maybe we've made it bomb a time or two, God, you are still in love with us. You are still in pursuit of us. Your mercy is new every day over us. God, we don't have to live in guilt and shame. God, your kindness and grace is there. Your forgiveness and mercy is there. God, we thank you that, God, no matter what our past looks like, God, our future, our future can be different if we'll put it in your hands. So, Lord God, we pray, speak to us today, throughout this week. Get us in here next week as we continue this journey in marriage. Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Would you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.